you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Imagine struggling financially for years or even decades and then getting a seventy dollars to $90,000 payout from Social Security. Plus, imagine having your monthly income nearly double. Would you like it to happen to you or someone you know? It could, and it is. Why? Because of recent changes in Social Security for same-sex couples. How? Well, we'll share that and more on this week's Queer Money episode number 314. We're joined by Aaron Tax of Sage to talk about these benefit changes. Now, on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Gainbridge sponsors the best, including the Indiana Pacers, Indiana Fever, Indiana 500, and the Queer Money Podcast. That's because Gainbridge believes dedication is an essential component of success in every community. Visit Gainbridge.life today. Folks, welcome back to another episode of the Queer Money Podcast. John and I are, we're always yearning for and seeking out information that is financially related, that is specific to the LGBT community. And we know that's that's not a common thing, but when a headline reaches out and says, this is specifically for same-sex couples, John and I immediately jump on it and we are engaged and want to find out more about it. And so... This particular topic today around changes that happen to beneficiaries of Social Security, John and I started to think about how much of an impact this could have on some people's lives, especially after we saw some of the information in an article that we read in the New York Times. But because John and I are not experts on Social Security, and we are actually not really kind of that familiar with a lot of the things that seniors may be dealing with. We wanted to invite someone on the show to kind of help us out with this particular topic. So welcome to the show, Aaron Tax. And folks, yes, that is his real name. (laughs) Aaron, you are with Sage. Would you mind just maybe giving us a little bit of information about Sage and what you do with Sage? Sure. SAGE is the nation's largest and ironically oldest organization dedicated to improving the lives of LGBTQ plus older people. Uh, We were founded in New York City in 1978. We currently run about a half dozen LGBT targeted senior centers across New York City. We have folks that we work with across the country who do similar work to us. We run a federally funded national resource center on LGBT aging. We have case management workers in New York City, and I run our federal public policy program and our policy work at the state level, where we try to improve the lives of LGBT older folks through public policy. Yeah. And so I think the community has to owe you and the and Sage a lot of gratitude. So thank you very much for all the work that you guys do. Definitely. I, I think that when we oftentimes think about discrimination, we all think about how it's affected us personally. 
And we're very thankful for the progress that has happened. But the reality is, is that a lot of LGBT seniors, a lot of LGBT elders, they're the ones who have been at the forefront of bringing about change because they felt a lot of the discrimination that many of us now read about or hear about in stories, maybe not have experienced into the level of individuals that they did in, say, the 80s, the 70s, the 60s. So I think it's important for us to remember that we stand on the shoulders of our LGBT seniors, and we want to provide any sort of help to show that we respect them. And that's why I think this this particular topic was of interest to both John and to me. We think about these individuals who may not have had some of the privileges and advantages that some of us have today. And because of that, they may be in a completely different financial situation. It's actually not uncommon for us to hear about LGBT seniors who may be in a financial situation that is very different than what maybe uh, younger LGBT folks are experiencing today, simply because of the kinds of decisions that they had to make early in their lives. And what is so interesting about this particular topic that we're going to discuss today, these recent changes to the uh, social security benefits is that it's kind of almost taking a step back and saying, we know there was a mistake. We know there was some discrimination. Let's try to fix that. And that's, I think, what's so powerful about this is one of the largest federal organizations is recognizing that there was this potential mistake and discrimination that has happened and they want to fix this. But I think it is up to a lot of us to then be able to carry this information to the seniors that we know that may not be aware of this information. So we know that not a lot of our audience are seniors, but Many of us know LGBT seniors, so please, if you can, as you're listening to this information, think of individuals in your own life that you may want to share this information with. So, Erin, maybe you could just share with us what was the change? What what is this change about and why did it take place? So thanks to two cases brought by Lambda Legal, as of November 1st, 2021, there are two classes of same-sex couples who are previously denied social security survivor benefits who are now eligible. So the first class is people who could not get married before their spouse died because of unconstitutional marriage bans. The second class is people who got married but could not meet social security's nine month duration of marriage requirement because of unconstitutional marriage bans. And because of these cases, anyone who are in either of those boats can now apply for benefits. Gotcha. I think of that kind of, I mean, John and I were in this kind of uh, gray period where we didn't know, you know, we lived in Colorado. It wasn't legal in Colorado to get married. We thought about going to California to get married and then Prop 8 happened. So there's, there's probably a lot of folks who were in this kind of gray area where they would have gotten married, but they didn't get married. And so maybe they, that's kind of what this is, the, the individuals who fall into that time period. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, there's all sorts of people who they might have been together for 40 years and they finally get married in their state. They're married for five months and then one of the, the their partner dies and then they couldn't get their survivor benefits or they've been married for 40 years again and they didn't get married in their state until one of their partner dies. So they don't even get to get married before they can apply. So there's there's these two two groups of folks who who really get left out before these decisions came down. 
Right. So I think the, I think if you're an LGBTQ person and you were in a same sex relationship for any duration, you might at the very least just want to check with your accountant to find out, do you qualify for social security survivor or spousal benefits and sort of let them be the decider of whether or not you pursue this? Because as we'll discuss later, this could avail you up to a couple extra hundred to a thousand dollars a month, in addition to any additional payout to make up for any time when you didn't get these benefits and otherwise might have qualified. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You kind of broke this down that it's two classes of people. And that's really because there are two different types of benefits, right? There's the survivor benefits and then there's the spousal benefits. I'll tell you this, John and I, (laughs) sometimes we get to talking about the two and then we look at each other and we're like, wait, which one are we talking about? (laughs) So let's, let's maybe kind of break these down. What's the difference between a survivor benefit and a spousal benefit? Because they both kind of imply that there's a spouse there, or at least now with the recent the, the recent changes, a domestic partner because you couldn't get married. So let's talk about that. What are the two basic benefits and differences between the two of them? Sure. So let's start with spousal benefits. Say you are a low earner, you work at McDonald's, and you are married to Jeff Bezos, the <laughs> high earner. You can collect up to 50% of what your spouse would collect when you guys retire. So that would be a survivor, uh, a spousal benefit rather, not a survivor's benefit. The survivor benefit, on the other hand, means it really means what, or it speaks to what you can collect when your spouse dies. So say you're the low earner, you work at McDonald's, you're married to Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos dies, and now you hit retirement. You now can collect the uh, social security benefit Jeff Bezos would have gotten, the higher social security benefit, because you are his spouse. I'm glad you kind of put it at such huge spectrums, because I think that for a lot of people, it may not feel like it's a big difference. But when we think about the huge difference in paychecks, and I guess when I think about the spousal benefits, I sometimes think about individuals who may have been maybe the primary caregiver, right? So you have a lesbian couple and they have children, and one of them decides to stay home with the children for an extended period of time. And maybe because of that, doesn't have as much, I don't want to say, it's not going to say banked, but it's it's the amount of money that you would normally get from social security. So you may have been out, let's say, just say you were out of the workforce for eight to 10 years. Well, that's going to have an impact on your the amount of money you would get in social security benefits, right? So it's it really kind of I think that's the way this was really designed in when we look back in ancient times, right? When Days it was very common yes. <laughs> for a man to be working and, and his wife to mm-hmm. be at home and not be working. So the benefit there was, and the same thing can happen today in, in our, our community, especially when we do see disparate incomes. Absolutely. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ plus community through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. 
Yeah, I think it might be helpful for listeners to, to remember, we talked about Social Security Survivor and Spousal Benefits on episode 54 of the Queer Money Podcast when we had David Freitag on from Mass Mutual. So we really dove into that. So if you want to learn the ins and outs, the nuances of both those benefits, which we think is important for everybody to, to learn, especially now because it's they have uh, they're available now to more people than ever before, go ahead and check that out. But Aaron, would you mind maybe sharing what are the qualifications to receive these survival and spousal benefits? Because in most cases, you've alluded to earlier, you have to be officially married for anywhere from nine to 12 months. And there might be an exemption here for some people in this case, right? Right. So generally speaking, at least for the survivor benefits, there's this nine-month duration of marriage requirement. Generally speaking, you got to be 62 years old. And now for these same-sex couples, what they need to be able to do is show that they were in a committed relationship and would have been married, but for these unconstitutional marriage bans. So people wonder, you know, what does that look like? And we can get into that a little bit, but basically social security will look into any information that you can provide to prove that you were in the same sex committed relationship for any, you know, this given period of time. And again, that you would have been married if that were possible. And when you think about it, this kind of does, I understand the nine month and the 12 month kind of cooling off period of proof that you've been married, that it doesn't have, we don't see people people rushing into marriages right before they may potentially pass away as a way to collect benefits, right? That's really the whole- That's a life insurance is for. What was that? That's what life insurance is for. (laughs) Right, exactly. I mean, you know, we think about kind of some of these celebrity weddings or marriages where there's a huge- difference in age and huge difference in income. And they rushed into a, a wedding at a, a, you know, it, it, and right before someone was going to pass away as a way to pass money on to someone. But it does make sense that the government would want some proof that you two actually truly were in a committed relationship for this period of time. But because it was so defined by you must have a marriage certificate, now we, we know that that wasn't possible for so many people. So I guess then maybe the question then comes up, what's, what's the proof, right? What's the proof that I was in a relationship with John since January of 2004? The hours and hours of audio I have of us bickering about things. <laughs> <laughs> so Aaron, what, how would we prove that we are in a committed relationship for this long? So uh, the folks, the staff at Social Security have been instructed to conduct a very thorough interview and consider any evidence that you might be able to provide them. And they're kind of like these common sense things. So maybe you have greeting cards or birthday cards or holiday cards that you can share, photos of you together, anything that you, you, know, you could show that maybe shows that legally in some way you were connected. So maybe you're on the same lease together or the same mortgage together. Maybe you shared car payments. Maybe you have powers of attorney or healthcare proxies, retirement accounts that you are jointly on or a joint bank account. So I think any of those things in your life that really indicate that you are together in this long-term committed relationship are things that you can provide to Social Security to demonstrate that relationship. I think you mentioned beneficiary on accounts. And that seems to, I think that's probably a very, I don't want to say it's a very common one, but it might be a more common one where you where you were maybe setting up your retirement account with your new employer and you put down this person. You know, I think back, I don't know how long John was listed as my partner on my retirement account as beneficiary, right? And so that for literally was well over a decade, he was listed as my partner. 
that potentially would be something that would prove this, right? Exactly. Heard a rumor about annuities? Cut out the noise by visiting Queer Money podcast sponsor Gainbridge at gainbridge.life to learn more. So then does the evidence then need to meet this kind of nine month, 12 month timeframe? Yeah. So I think you can, you can like basically throw anything you have at social security and help, you know, to try to make the case. Right. Yeah. It it, it makes sense, right? They're going to, they're going to want some proof that this isn't two, two people who are just trying to scam the system. And I guess it would be it would be important to for our community to make sure and to be validated that it is actually two people who are in a same sex relationship, not just two friends who just happen to be of the same sex. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's important for our listeners to maybe extrapolate a little bit what this could possibly mean. So what David and I read a couple of articles about what this benefit could be to LGBTQ people or same-sex couples, but we felt that the New York Times article published on January 23rd, 2022 was, was one of the best. So they, had, they represented two people in this article, Ms. Helen Thornton, who kind of brought this case to the Supreme Court. And after the decision was made, her social security payment went from $953 to $1,849 a month. And then in addition to that, she got a retroactive lump sum payment of $72,000. So that's just an example of of some of the changes that could happen in your financial situation. If you're able to prove that had these unconstitutional laws been in place, you would have gotten married to a same-sex partner. Uh, You could avail yourself to a considerable payment. Even if even just that monthly payment increase would be nice for a lot of people, right? That's that's being able to maybe cover rent a little bit more easily than you than you otherwise would. But in her example, that was a ninety four percent increase in her monthly income, an additional an additional ten thousand seven hundred fifty two dollars a year. Yeah, I, I think what what I find so interesting about her particular story is she literally said that she was not going to see her family. Because she couldn't afford to go to California to see her kids. She lived in the state of Washington State. She couldn't afford to go to California to see her kids because of where her Social Security benefits were at. She just simply didn't have the money. And this is an example of where her partner earns significantly more than her. And that's where this spousal benefit came into play, where they said, okay, your spouse clearly contributed significantly to the social security system, you deserve to have access to that money. And most likely this is what was life-changing for her. Yeah, exactly. Then the second example they have in the article was Mr. Anthony Gonzalez, um, who's now a recipient of survivor benefits because his partner passed away. He went from receiving receiving no social security benefits because his husband passed away to receiving $1,800 a month, right? So that's a gigantic increase in monthly payments, but then he also got a lump sum retroactive payment of $90,000. So for some people, this may be inconsequential, but I, I think for a lot of people, it could be quite significant. And I've, you said earlier that the Social Security Administration reached out to 900 people? Right. So in this particular New York Times article, they said that there were 900 people that they thought that they had made a mistake 
or that their discrimination had had occurred because of these. It, these are individuals who had applied and had been denied for spousal benefit. And retroactively, they went back and were looking at these and they thought that there were 900 people who or roughly around 900 people who were who had been discriminated against. So they reached out to these people and less than 200 people responded, which clearly this is I think this is why I said at the very beginning, the outset, this we all know LGBT seniors, and we want to make sure that they are taken care of all the way through the end of their lives. And this is a benefit that they may not be aware of, especially if they had a spouse who passed away. And what's interesting is you may not even know that they had, that their spouse passed away. Maybe you know them since their spouse has passed away, but they still may qualify for this. So it may not be a bad idea to ask your individuals who you know that are seniors, is this a potential situation that has happened to you? Right. Because I think that 900, that was the of examples of where the Social Security Administration thought that they made a discriminatory mistake. It doesn't include people who have never applied for any benefits and, and uh, consequently never got them. So if you think you might qualify for this, or if you think you know someone who might qualify, spread this like, you know, the gospel. <laughs> so Aaron, does Sage have tools that can help someone determine if if this is something that they would benefit from or or tools that help LGBT seniors through the process of making sure that they are going through all of the social security process correctly? Yes, yeah, so if you are in New York City, you could talk to some of our case managers and they can help at least point you in the right direction to figure out if you might be eligible for these benefits. In addition, wherever you are in the country or the world, perhaps, you could use a program called Sage Sense that you could find at sageusa.org forward slash Sage Sense. That's S-A-G-E-C-E-N-T-S, like one cent. And it's kind of a this kind of holistic program that allows LGBT older folks kind of figure out where they are financially and allows them to learn more about finances and the resources that might be available to help them in budgeting and in other situations in terms of financial planning. That's awesome. And I love that you, you you mentioned for folks who might be outside of the country, because I know we have a lot of listeners who are retiring outside of the country. And some people are retiring outside of the country because it's a little bit more affordable to do so. And so this might make living outside the country even more affordable or may you know, allow you to come back to the United States if you, if you decide to return back here. I think it's also important to remember that as we age, there are financial circumstances and things that that the government makes available to us that many of us who are younger just simply don't understand and can't give advice on. But SAGE is doing the work to understand and help seniors with that kind of information. That's why it's good to have a resource, especially for individuals who may be approaching things like Medicare, Medicaid, and budgeting as a senior. Living on a fixed income in some ways can be a little scary, a little daunting. And so understanding what tools and, and resources you have available can make things a lot easier for you. Exactly. So that said, um, how can our listeners keep up with all the other amazing thing that's, that Sage is doing for the community and you know, beyond just the app? Sure. 
you know, we're on all the forms of social media that you could imagine, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok, oh, and really? all those platforms, <laughs> we, believe it or not, we are. Uh, <laughs> and on all those, all those platforms, we're at Sage USA. That is our, our handle. So definitely check us out. Yeah, we definitely follow you on Instagram and and from time to time share content that you create over to our Instagram stories on the Queer Money and Debt for Guys feeds. But I will definitely check out your TikTok now. Now that you mentioned that you're you're on TikTok, okay. Do you have a Do you have a bunch of members dancing to do videos? <laughs> I have no idea. I, I'm embarrassed to admit I've never looked at it myself. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Aaron, so much for coming on the show and, and, and extrapolating on uh, all your knowledge about Social Security survivors, spousal benefits, and uh, to you as well, Sage. Thank you so much for all the work you do for the community. I don't know that if our community uses uh, utilizes your services enough. Uh, so hopefully more and more folks will get connected with you either on social media or directly and uh, take advantage of all the services that you have. Cool. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you, Aaron and Sage, for joining us for this important episode of the Queer Money Podcast. It could literally turn some people's financial lives around. To your listeners, here's your Queer Money takeaway from this episode. If you were in a long-term relationship, one in which you would have gotten married had you had the opportunity to do so, and your partner has since passed away, contact the Social Security Administration today to see if you're owed a back payment and any increase in your monthly Social Security payment. Then join us next week for a special episode with a panel of experts to talk about lesbian money issues. That's right. We're answering some of the questions that we've received over the years from our lesbian listeners about unique money issues that they have faced. Thanks again and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.